thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 25, Apollo 13 from 1995. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And Mike, congratulations. We have reached 50 Tom Tom Club episodes, 25 crews, 25 Hanks. We still have so many more to go. We are, you know, we're, we're more than halfway there in crews. We're not more than halfway there, I can tell you that much, in Tom Hanks. He's got so many more. We're nearly a decade ahead for Tom Cruise. But... <laughs> to talk about this movie, to talk about Apollo 13, before we get ahead of ourselves, let us welcome in. He's been on Cruise Club four times. He's been on so many of our podcasts in the past. He has his own podcast here with his sister, right here on the Cage Club Podcast Network, called The Contenders. First time to Hanks of the Memories, Mr. Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about Outer Space and Apollo 13. I keep wanting to call this movie Apollo 11 because like, there's so much Apollo 11 this year because it's the 50th anniversary. There was a documentary that came out. Yeah. I keep almost getting it wrong, but Apollo 13, drill it in my head. 13, 13, 13. <laughs> lucky, lucky 13. They make the one joke about it, right? Like, I don't, I wish it wasn't 13. She's like, he, he, you know, he's like, that's the number that comes after 12, honey. And... <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great Hanks line. Before we talk about this movie, before we talk about Mr. Tom Hanks in this movie, Tobin, give us a quick rundown on your history with Tom Hanks. I mean, we've had four episodes of you talking about Tom Cruise over the other feed, but do you have a favorite Tom Hanks movie? How do you feel about the man? And do you remember the first time you saw him in a movie? I don't remember the first time I saw him in a movie, but I remember watching Bosom Buddies reruns on like Saturday afternoons sometimes like I think oh. that was my introduction and then and then big it was probably big were you watching uh, Bosom Buddies with your sister and co-host Eisline Addington by any chance <laughs> who was on one of our Bosom Buddy episodes all the way back in the beginning I am sure that we watched some Bos- Bosom Buddies together oh I did not tell you this, Mike, but Iceland texted me and she said that a friend of hers fell down a Bosom Buddies rabbit hole, Uh-oh. found the podcast, and was like, wait, you're on the podcast. Like, did not find it through her, but found a podcast that she was on because I guess there's not a lot of literature about Bosom Buddies on the internet right now. <laughs> Which there should be, yeah. But it's just this weird Bosom Buddies rabbit hole. But I like that you, you both shared in the, uh, you were, you know, si- Bosom siblings or something. I don't know, some metaphor there. Yeah, yeah. And you know, actually, looking at Hanks's filmography, it turns out that actually I saw a movie in the theater with my sister and my dad, who has been a guest on our show. I saw him in Dragnet the year before Big even oh, came out. Oh, just the facts. We went to Dragnet in the theater, whatever summer, that summer of 87. So yes, so I, I so Hanks and I go way back. Uh, favorite, I'll put it this way. The performance that I think is most overlooked for Hanks, in my opinion, you won't get to for a while. <laughs> I think that his performance in the uh, the Paul Greengrass movie Captain Phillips. Oh, okay. I'm the captain is, now. Yeah, I think that is a spectacular performance, and I and it's a it's a, a crying shame he was not nominated and didn't win a third Oscar for that. Particularly as the way that performance builds from the beginning to the end. So I, that's the one that in my head, I when I when I think back to sort of great injustices in like awards season, which I do sometimes. Uh, that's one that comes to mind he's got so many movies like he's got as of right now like 65 movies like that's probably in the 50s like the upper 50s probably yeah totally we've got miles to go before we get there but let us talk about apollo 13 this movie is so okay i remember i think i mentioned this on a previous episode i'm pretty sure i'm almost positive that my family rented this on vhs in the 90s because i remember having seen at one point 
And I don't think I've seen it in probably 25 years, not 25 years, like 22 years, maybe. Like, it's been a very long time. And I really like this movie. But, you know, Mike, we were just talking about today that you saw this morning at Astra for the first time. Mm. And, like, it turns out I think I like my space movies to be a lot weirder than this. Mm-hmm. Like, metaphorical and weird and daddy issues, you know, like Interstellar <laughs> and th- like. I, I really like this movie, but I don't know that I loved it the way that you did, according to your letterbox review. Yeah, like, I I love this movie. I mean, I think the, the issue, not the issue, but I think a thing about it is, uh, I think it's like, it's a heavy period piece, too, at a lot for a lot of this as well. So, like, it's historically accurate. They're doing all the details and everything is trying to get it so precise and correct and everything. And, and I really admire that. And I think that actually strengthens the film and stuff whereas something with like Ad Astra you're right like that's it gets much stranger and metaphorical and you know by the third act who knows what the hell is really going on in those kinds of movies and even stuff like Gravity sort of is right in the middle there which I love as well Mm. and I'm just a huge fan of space films like this like Joey is also telling you like you know there sort of seems to be two types there's like the Star Wars Star Trek ones where you yep. can like beam everybody up and shoot and this and that and then there's ones like 2001 and Interstellar and such and and I love those um, because of how they're sort of like based in this reality and uh, and so I really love this movie uh, I'll get into it a little later I'll just tease it this movie scares the shit out of me the way like really? horror, horror mm-hmm. movies do to mm-hmm. some people like I am terrified uh, of space as well so like I don't know why that's like an allure. I'm just going to say, Mike, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think in the grand <laughs> scheme of things that you have to worry about, being in outer space is not one yet that you have to worry about. So I think I can assuage those fears a little bit. Now, Tobin, what about you? I'm assuming that since you picked this one, you probably really like it. But where do you fall? Is this one of your, you know, do you love this movie? Do you really like this movie? Is this one that is like a secret, like, ooh, I'm going to come on there and talk some shade about it? <laughs> no, I unabashedly adore this movie. I think this is a brilliantly made movie from the script up. And the performances are spectacular. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it as we go. I remember seeing this in the theater. I think I may have seen it twice that summer. I know I went with my whole, our whole family went at least once. And I think I went back to it with my dad. I loved Ad Astra and I loved 2001. I'm not as hot on Interstellar, but for other reasons. But I I like that kind of space movie too. Maybe I fall more into Mike's camp where it's like all those, the, the space stuff. I just, I get such a kick out of, but I love the way that this movie was made with such fidelity to the experience that the, astronauts had and the ground control had and i remember sitting in the theater like not breathing through this movie and i probably watched it maybe half a dozen times in the 90s afterwards on vhs and then i was very excited to buy a nice blu-ray of it and uh watch it for this recording not having seen it in probably 10 years or 15 years and i liked it even more than i remembered when i when wow okay yeah so i love it you know this is the second of five Ron Howard, Tom Hanks connections. We've got Splash, we've got this, and we've got the three Dan Brown, <laughs> Robert Langdon books, movies, whatever. Oh dear. So, who boy. It's wild, like, because it's not like I think Ron Howard's a bad director, but this movie is, like, perfectly direct. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, to me, this is, like, a perfect movie level type of movie, and when I realize, like, holy shit, I can't believe, like, it's that Ron Howard that got away with it this time, but it, it just feels like it kind of hit perfectly at a certain moment and a certain time in filmmaking and with the effects and the acting and everything just kind of 
fell right into place. You know, I've seen probably, I was looking up his movies, and I've seen probably eight or nine of his movies. I think this is probably my second favorite, but the one that I like more than this, we talked about not that long ago, Far and Away. I think Far and Away is... Oh, how do you like my hat? Exactly. <laughs> weirdly kind of more my speed than this. The, the way that I can best describe why this movie, not, not falls short, because I still really like it. I, I can't really point to many things that I don't like about this movie, and we'll get into that when we talk about the highs and lows, but I feel like this is more like a 90s blockbuster set in space than a space movie almost and i know that that's a terrible description but <laughs> well you know what it, it's it's a disaster flick at its core right it's towering yeah. inferno it's like right. independence right. day super light uh right <laughs> like that kind of suspense and tension and and that's that's what they're sort of going for i feel i mean it, it takes place in space it's historical it's all this stuff too but where they're trying to sort of bring the drama and and focus on is sort of like oh well we gotta it's gotta be some type of movie i think they lean mostly towards disaster flicks summer of the 90s big blockbuster action disaster movie kind of thing. Because what also kind of threw me this time around is the it's it's kind of the pacing of the movie, but not the pacing of the movie. Like the movie, like 50 minutes in, they're in space. Like there's a lot of buildup, but there's not that much buildup. Like it's not like Apollo 11 where like it's can they get to the moon. It's not like First Man, like can right. they get there? Like we know that they're getting in the space. Like narratively, historically, we know that Apollo 11 had happened the year before. Apollo 13 is now, you know, we're going here now. And I guess it's not about, because it, it's not that kind of movie. Like the, it's about the what happens while you're up there. But I just feel like there's this kind of a strange balance where it's, there's still the unknowns of whether or not they can get up there. Gary Sinise is getting kicked off because maybe he has the measles, getting replaced by Kevin Bacon, like all these different things that are the prep leading up there, but there's not really as much of that as I was expecting, but also kind of a lot more than I was expecting to. Like it's this weird sort of in-between balance, but the movie is also not overly long. Like we've been watching a lot of movies lately, and this doesn't feel like a two and a half hour movie the way that some of these other movies that, you know, not that The Last Samurai was bad, Mike, but we were just talking a week ago over on Cruise Club about two and a half hour movies, right? Like it's... This movie's great, actually. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Even that movie could have trimmed a bit, right? Yeah. But I don't think this movie feels feels two hours and 20 minutes long. Like, I think that this is a really well-paced movie. What I'm struggling here, I keep trying to say in a way that makes any sense at all, is it didn't 100% click with me, and I can't articulate why, and I wish that I knew, or I wish that I liked it more. I just don't know. Maybe I could take a stab at that. I wonder if, tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I could see this criticism of the movie that they're kind of, the way they've constructed the movie around the Jim Lovell character, there are sort of two big emotional turns. The first one it has to do with him not having gotten to walk on the moon before and then being beaten to it. And then, you know, is he is he going to actually get to walk on the moon this time or not? And then the second is, can they get home? Like, how yeah. can and how will they get home? And so the movie's kind of asking you to pay some attention to the fact that when they, like, there's that, that great sequence, I think it's when they're on the dark side of the moon, where they're looking out at the moon and he... Or, or I guess maybe it's earlier than that when they ha when they when they re were realizing they're not going to get to actually land on the moon this time. Mm -hmm. And that that has to, that has some real emotional weight in the way that if the movie was just pure disaster, would be just them getting on the ship, going up, and then oh my god, disaster, and then and then surviving. This there's a whole other kind of human element drama to it to his character that I wonder if makes it feel like what am I watching? Am I, am I watching this movie or that movie? And for me, the two blend really seamlessly together. But I can certainly see how it would throw you a little bit. Like it would be like which which movie am I watching right now? Is that your experience at all? I guess that, that might be, like, it's not fully satisfying. Like, the whole thing is you want them to come home, but, like, at the same point, they didn't really, and I don't want to 
belittle like what these astronauts did because they accomplished so much. But like at the end of the day, they didn't do anything. Like they get up there, things go wrong, and they come back. And it's like I guess if they just if they landed on the moon, this isn't a movie. Like it's just like another like whatever yeah. happened to Apollo twelve. There's no movie about that, right? Like it's just that was presumably a successful mission. Like Apollo eleven's the first one. This one, you know, they're trying to do more. They're trying to get more moon rocks, dust, whatever. You want him to sort of achieve that dream, and then to have it taken away, then you know he has that line, "What are your intentions? I want to go home." It's like, well, I get that. Like he's a family man. He's a good guy. He wants to get home to his wife and kids. But you kind of want more. And I feel, I guess, I feel like a little reaching, like a little bit. I'm coming up short on something. Maybe it's what you said, Tobin. Like maybe it's the kind of stuck between two worlds, two types of narratives. I don't know. I hear what you're saying, and I can see where that might, you know where it can be a little tedious that first act for you but for me it's all this great I, I like the setup like I think it works well because it helps pay off so many moments later on in space like when Bill Paxton gets sick like when he's not sure if he can trust Kevin Bacon like the moment where he's like hey take a look at the moon and he's like I've seen it before it's like ooh mm-hmm. that is like gut wrenching uh, and for me like you know meeting these guys and I don't know like I, I've always been interested in astronauts especially of this day because like there were you know test pilots and Right. And like geniuses and like yeah. daredevils, right? And like, you know, some of them were engineers and everything. And it's just like trying to get inside the mind of these people. And, you know, he likes to drive a fast car and he is family man. And like, there's a lot to set up, though. There is a lot. I, I will give it that. Like, I like it, but uh, they they do have to pile a lot of it on because there's so many characters. But I also like the way, like, it sort of foreshadows a little, even if it, if it's not as true to life, how, like, they do have to swap out one of their crew members. And, you know, they weren't supposed to be Apollo 13. They're supposed to be Apollo 14. And that got moved up. And, you know, all these little weird things along the way that they're like, no, we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And, and then when the shit hits the fan in space, you're like, okay, I think these guys can actually get home whereas like mm-hmm. maybe another crew couldn't and that to me is like all part of like the tension and drama when the second half sets in and, and it's getting back to earth i think the other reason that the movie resonated so powerfully with me today is because we are at a time where large numbers of the population are disregarding science and disregarding experience and expertise and this is a movie that really celebrates that. It celebrates ingenuity. It celebrates the ability to sort of uh, think outside the box, to work within confines, to and and to know your math. Like so much of this movie hinges on math in a way that like something like Hidden Figures does, right? Like where where the math is so is so central. And the, this story of real heroism only works because the people who were up in space and down on the ground were experts in their fields. And mm-hmm. I find I found that really moving this time in a way that I'm not sure it even was because it felt like a celebration of something that has, for some segments, been lost. It is kind of crazy when you, when I sat there and was watching, I was like, I could just watch Mission Control all day long yes. if it was a TV yes. show. Like, it doesn't even need to be this riveting. It's just the concept that they're controlling what's going or helping out what's ever happening, like, off-world. I think maybe my problem, and this might be, again, the function, the way that we watch these movies for the podcast, is that I think I was more invested in ground control, and I feel like I didn't care as much. Like, I was watching for, specifically for Tom Hanks and the guys up in the, because that's where the spectacle is, right? Like, everybody on the ground 
It's just doing math and running around and dumping things on tables and stuff like that. Like, it's all the, how do we, like, they're doing the legwork to get the guys home. And I think that's all fascinating stuff, but I'm watching specifically now for the Tom Hanks element of it, and I feel like they are kind of at the, and I know it's the narrative, that's the whole point of this all, but they're kind of at the mercy of, like, fate and these guys on the ground and so on and so forth, but it just feels like there's so much happening, but what we're watching for, the focus that I'm giving it, it's kind of the reactive as opposed to the proactive kind Mm -hmm. of. Like, I think if Tom... Hanks was in the Ed Harris role, I'd be like, hell yeah, like, let's talk about this. That's zeroing in maybe because you're also watching this through a Hanks lens. And I think one of the really powerful things about this movie is that these, that the, our three main characters that we think are going to be the main characters from the beginning of the movie, I mean, Ed Harris shows up at minute 31, right? Like he's not in the first 30 minutes of the movie. That, that the first, these, these characters are they're so limited in what they can do, right? So the second half of the movie does necessarily kind of backseat them in a way in terms of like all like racing around and doing shit because they can't because they're because they're confined. And so especially if you're watching us from a Hank's point of view, just sort of through that lens, you can see that that the character that you're particularly invested in and that you're watching really closely is also really confined. I think it's really one of the strengths of the movie, but but it certainly does take a backseat in the second half of the movie to the kind of rousing stuff that Mission Control gets to. I can, I can, I, I understand that reading of the movie for sure. And I think what's maybe telling is the wrong word, but like in terms of the award recognition, not that this really means anything, but the Academy Awards and the Golden Globes recognized Ed Harris and Kathleen Quinlan, like the two people on the right. ground, like, you know, Tom Hanks' wife mm-hmm. and Ed Harris, right? Like it just, it's those are the characters that are doing the most that I feel like people that stood out to people the most. You have these three stars in space and yet they're just, they're, they're up there kind of stranded and there's the, there's, I even I think I want either way like I want way more of either the ground stuff or the astronaut stuff and I feel like the balance is what works for a lot of people but for me I wanted to really zone in and focus in on one of them as opposed to sort of you know joint custody of both mm. <laughs> it, that's interesting like I, I was kind of feeling that as well the it was it's sort of Ed Harris heavy more the second half I guess Hank's light mm-hmm. maybe more the second and I almost kind of just equated it to well this this isn't a necessarily like Independence Day but there were a lot of movies I feel a lot of action films around that time that took advantage of its large cast by telling a lot of these separate stories that sort of intersected at certain junctions but weren't right. necessarily like all a part of each other's world right and like from even like to a degree of pulp fiction right like it was just like a kind of a 90s thing so my, my mind kind of went to that direction mm-hmm. where it's like oh it's it's just sort of like a necessity of this the story part of how movies were made at the time and I, I was able to adjust but I could definitely like thinking about it now like with those Hanks glasses on it's like yeah we're, like where did he go for a while there he just mm-hmm. kind of like fell asleep freezing cold in space for a day or two <laughs> and I think that's really a product of like recent movie like I don't I, I'm I'm sure that I'm missing maybe very obvious movies that I can't think of but that, I mean I guess in a few years we'll have Hanks alone on an island again Castaway, right? But like, I feel like, especially in terms of space movies, in terms of kind of disaster movies, we've got Gravity, which is for the most part Sandra Bullock alone. We've got All Is Lost, which is Robert Redford on a boat all alone. We got Ad Astra, where even Brad Pitt's like with people, but he's basically all alone from like mentally all. Alone. I feel like as time has gone on, there's been more of these movies, and maybe it's just a function that I'm able to connect with those for other elements more. But I feel like the type of thing where just the like if we'd spent the entire thing, like if we like not that I want this necessarily, but if the entire movie is in the spaceship and we only hear Ed Harris and his team over the radio, I think that might be a very kind of riveting, compelling thing. Or if we never see the astronauts, like if we're only on the ground and we only see them through the transmission, that might be a compelling thing too. But I think being able to tell both is what gives it the grandeur, but it's not necessarily maybe what I'm looking for. I don't Mm -hmm. know. 
Yeah. You know, not only does the Ed Harris character take over that second half, but the Ed Harris performance takes over the second half. He is so good. And every scene is like an Oscar scene, right? Like it's an Oscar clip scene. And there were so many of those moments that I remembered. Like if you sat me down last week and said, can you name some scenes in Apollo 13? Like there are maybe two with Tom Hanks and there are probably five with Ed Harris that I could remember. That doesn't affect my viewing of the movie, but it really is like this great marriage of performance and character that, that he's given and that he provides back, Ed Harris does in the second half of the movie. He seems so comfortable in the in the role, but like also the production of this movie is fucking top notch to the degree where you have the swooping camera whirling around him at times, right, making right. him look amazing and awesome. And and you got you got great scenes for him, like the one that always sticks out of my mind. It's such a great metaphor for like the entire problem is when he goes to write on the overhead projector and it doesn't work. Yes. So so he like pulls up the map and uses the blackboard, you know. And it's just like right. that kind of thinking. That that's the whole point. And and then the movie Ron Howard, a stroke of genius, which you know he he puts the big like problem up on he's like here's the earth here's the moon here's yeah, where they yeah. are this and that and it's like dude it's up there for the rest of the movie you don't even think <laughs> twice like i mean it's just this thing is such a well-oiled machine on every level that like i think it helps the acting helps the directing helps you know the production how everybody's sort of like breathing off each other in this thing it's great now mike do you have a favorite moment is there something about this that stands out above the rest is there something here that is that you can point to and say that's my that's the that's the best part of apollo 13 it's difficult but there's a part in this movie that always gets to me and it's i think it's after they've circled around and they're slingshotting back to earth and it's when the sort of horror movie sort of feeling starts really sinking in for me i mean i always as soon as the explosion starts i'm like in dread for them because of just the idea like there's nothing between them in space except for like aluminum or whatever (laughs) like they're in a tin can you know and like they're they're in such deep shit out there but like when there's still like this hope that they're on the way back and they're like so much closer to making it yet they're like freezing to death and the radio is dying and it just really takes on like um like a horror like a haunted house kind of like an old haunted house type of vibe to me where they're just like listless and dying and it's just really creepy and i think it's late in the movie or it's later in the movie and it just sort of reminds me and reiterates all the things I'm supposed to sort of be feeling at this moment and the movie just kind of like nudges me again at that point so and and like those guys aren't in a lot of that we've been talking about in that second half too so it makes me care for them even more when I see them in those sort of like perilous moments and stuff so like vulnerable and stuff especially since we know these guys are like tough as nails and hard as balls and shit so to see them sort of deflated to fetal positions you know silence Mm -hmm. is is very unnerving Tobin, what about you? Is there something that you can point to that says that that's that's your favorite moment? That's the best part of Apollo 13? I wish I had a better answer because this is, a, am sure, a pretty common one. But it's the scene with Ed Harris that we've been talking about where he ends the scene saying, we've never lost an American in space. We're not going to do that today. Not on my watch as he walks out of that. Not on my watch line is so seared into my brain and for me sums up everything about not just the story they're telling, but the way they're telling the story, that they're not going to screw this up. So the movie's written by William Broyles Jr., and who would go on to write Castaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, famously was rewritten. There was a, a rewrite by John Sayles, a sort of legendary independent filmmaker 
who did, does a lot of or did a lot of script doctoring. And he, he has no credit because what he did was he changed a lot of the dialogue. So they, the, they had a version of the movie that they were getting ready to do. And they brought Hanks on. And then once Hanks is on, he's like, this feels too much like a movie movie. Like the dialogue was had been uh, movified. Yeah. yeah. And so sales went back and reread the old logs of the actual, like what was actually being said back and forth between Mission Control. And then there's some poetic license taken in it, but a lot of the stuff where they're talking back and forth is verbatim from the transcripts. And that kind of verisimilitude. So then they, and then they, you know, they built the set on a low gravity plane so that they could actually shoot them in, in zero G or pretty close to it. They, they reconstructed the entire Mission Control. They were offered the chance to shoot in NASA's actual Mission Control and Ren Howard's like, that's great, but I really just like to learn, like to get all the specs and we'll build our own. Like <laughs> everything is, is constructed to, to be as sort of faithful to this story of American ingenuity and heroism as, as possible. And like, if I could feel Ron Howard in that moment, you know, being like, we're not going to mess this up, not on my watch. And so that to me kind of crystallizes the genius of this movie. You know, there's another line that's similar to that moment where there's, there, it's like, like the worry war, like as they're, you know, they're, they're basically in the final. They're they're, not, they're in the home stretch, right? Like things have gone for the most part pretty well, but there's still a lot of chaos. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. They could die in like any number of ways. And there's that guy who's in the control room, and he's just like, "Well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this?" And one of the, one of those guys says something like, "You know, this could be the most devastating loss that NASA's ever suffered, or something like that." And Ed Harris is like, "No, I think this is gonna be our finest hour." And yeah, it's that yeah. same kind of optimism, <laughs> like, "No, you guys are not understanding that I'm here, and I'm not gonna let that happen." You know what I mean? It's just like the right, right. the same kind of like no like whatever i understand what you're saying but a we can't be negative right now but Mm -hmm. b like we have the best and the brightest and the smartest both up there and down here and i love that moment i mean to me i I don't think it's a surprise and i think we all kind of agree with it to a certain extent like ed harris is the mvp here like i you know we watched for tom hanks but like i was a little thrown off by his hair like i I didn't you know i was (laughs) jarred by uh, him actually having hair but you know after i got over that i was just like no no this is like this is his movie and you know Tom Hanks is the the closing narration, and it's it's ostensibly his story, and he's top build, and he's the one that you think of. But like this is an Ed Harris movie, and I think I just I love everything that he brings to it. I wonder if watching it again with like really feeling that and understanding that if it would go down smoother like in another couple of years you watch this movie again and it might hang together a little more because you kind of know that right like I wonder if that would make a difference too maybe possibly it's also like the little things and I don't know why I felt this way but just kind of like the bombastic swelling score at the end like it didn't like that's supposed to be like the, um, oh my god they did it but like I also know because I know the story that they're going to be successful like I think maybe if I had no idea whether they lived or died then maybe I would be more invested but like I know that they're going to land and I know that's not the point like it's not about the destination it's more about the journey but I don't, I don't know like it just I hope so. I mean, I, I don't think I'm ever going to not like this movie, but I also yeah, don't yeah. that I'm ever no, going to love it or, you know, connect with it in a way that I, in the theater, I'm just like, oh my God, Ad Astra, like this is, this is my shit. Like, hell yeah. <laughs> On the flip side of the coin, is there something about this movie that doesn't work for you guys? Like, Tobin, is there something about here that you want to switch out or change up or remove or alter or what would you do to fix this movie? Or is it perfect? You know, it's pretty close to perfect, I think, given the time it was made and the kind of movie it is. I agree a little bit that throughout the James Horner score is maybe a little telegraphing a little too much. It feels a little bit like they don't trust us to feel what we need to be feeling. On the other hand, when you have that many crane shots in a movie, I feel like you kind of you might need the music to kind of go along with it, like they kind of go hand in hand. But I I don't think I would change any of the performances. And I don't think I would change any of the dialogue or the pacing, but I I would I would probably dial back the music just a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I hear that. I agree with that. It, it, I think, what did Joey say, bombastic at times? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Not that for me it got in the way, but I knew I was watching a patriotic movie. I didn't need that type of patriotic score. I think I would have rather like a John Williams thing going on, like a more oh, riveting yeah. sort of like a like rushing around, like trying to fix yeah. things kind of stuff. Instead, yeah, it's very orchestral and sweeping. And yeah, I always feel I felt like I had to stand up and salute a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, what about you? I mean, aside from the scores, is there anything else about this that you would change or remove or alter? So there's actually one moment in the movie, and man, like, I love this movie. I think it's, like, super close to a perfect movie, but this is moment... Is this your favorite Hanks movie so far? Oh, possibly. It could be. Because I have this right now at number six, I think. Yeah. The lists don't make any sense. Like, I can tell you that much. They don't make any sense. <laughs> actually, it's either it's either this or Bonfire of the Vanities at this point. I'll tell really? You. <laughs> I can't help myself. Wow. But well, I got a moment here that I have to address. The movie is, like, I'm with this thing 100, I'm with this 99.99%, but there's one moment where I don't know if I'm down uh, so much. Plus, I don't think it's very well constructed for a moment. It's when Hanks has his sort of moon dream where, like, he's oh, yes. got his, he had his moment and he actually landed on he imagined that he landed on the moon and he looks up at the earth and he's got that like look on his face and it's uh, i know i just couldn't this time like i i kind of <laughs> snickered a little bit at that moment and you know i didn't mean to or anything and i know what they're getting at with that but i it just didn't i was there already with him in his head you know like i didn't i didn't need to actually see it because i was i could tell he was picturing it and it kind of took a little bit of the kick out of it for me in that moment <laughs> This feels like the kind of thing that Ron Howard is going to do more and more of as his movies go on, which is which is sort of lay into the the cheeseballness of things or the obvious, make some some sort of more obvious choices. I think and and yeah, because I I had that same kind of experience of that moment. Like it just felt, oh, we're doing this, okay, we're doing this, but then we're going to get back to the real nuts and bolts of this thing. Because it worked really well when he had the nightmare about getting sucked out in the space, yes, but right, it didn't right. work when he had like the dream about being on the moon. So I was like, well, maybe just go back and take them both out. I know what his anxieties are. Also, like yeah, of course. He's afraid of getting sucked at. Everyone's probably afraid of that. So, yeah, <laughs> that's about it. I wonder if that's because, like, it, it presents, like, a sort of optimism. It's also, like, a, it's a blend of, like, optimism and sadness and pessimism and I don't know. But, like, it almost feels like the like your hopes should not be on, like, what could have been, but, like, what can be, right? Like, so it's essentially, mm-hmm. like, we're not going to, like, as soon as they blow it, like, the, the oxygen tanks blow, like, there's the explosion or whatever. And basically everyone on the ground is like, uh, so, we're, so the moon's out. Like, we're not going to the moon. And I feel like at that point on, you're then, like, what you should then want to achieve or want to get is get these guys home safe and to have that Mm. kind of optimism like oh this is what could have been it feels mean it almost feels like mean like i know that like that's it's the goal it's the dream it's what he wanted but it's like hey guy look what you're not gonna have it's like i mean okay yeah i mean maybe if anything he should have pictured himself on earth with his family like hugging his wife or you know like that's the moment i expected it's like oh like we're on our way home but no you're right joey it did kind of feel like he got like kind of gypped right like super gypped and like reminded of it so i mean like they definitely did get gypped i mean there's i mean it's not their fault it's nobody's fault or whatever but like they weren't supposed to be in the ship they get bumped up then they don't get to go to the moon this is his last mission like his dream 
ostensibly is to go to the moon, to land on the moon, to walk on the moon, and it gets taken away. Like, he does get gypped, but it's still... Yeah, he's still logged. At the time, he he had logged the most time in space, right? So, like, it's, you know, he was doing what he loved. Like, it wasn't, you know, he didn't waste his life by not getting to the moon, right? You know, he's still <laughs> right, a great, right. amazing astronaut and, yeah, all that kind of thing, so... You know, if I were to fix this movie, and I, I still I don't know that there's a lot that I really can point out. I think it's what we what we've been saying about the score. I think kind of the balancing of the like I think it's well balanced, but it's not well balanced in my my taste to my to my flavor, whatever. I don't know. I think that I think it's good. Like I think it's just one of those ones that's not exactly for me. Which you know I was sort of surprised when Far and Away was, and I'm sort of surprised that this one necessarily isn't. But again, not to say that this is a bad movie. It's just not exactly what I was kind of hoping for. So don't really have anything mean to say. It just you know didn't quite do it for me. But I still admire it and think it's great. So that's that. I also want to do point out that like everyone, when you think of this movie, I think the 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 line that everyone thinks of is Houston. We have a problem. But there's other lines that I feel like are maybe even better. Like we just lost the moon feels pretty iconic. Mm-hmm. Like pretty yeah. like that's like a slap in the face. Like Houston, we have a problem knowing how big and how not parodied but parodied and referenced and yeah. all over the place that line is. You hear it and you're like, oh, there's a thing, right? Like it's right. Yeah, that's that's the movie. But like we just lost the moon, or we just put Sir Isaac Newton in the driver's seat. Like there's these yeah, lines. Yeah, that's a great one. That feel cool that I just feel maybe are get like it's swept under the rug because there is the one line, the one face that he makes when that's said, and I think that's the what's burned into people's brains. And I think that there's so many more cool kind of one liners, standalone lines. Like when we nominate for the awards, like we gotta go, I think, with the big one, but like there's other stuff here that are really cool. And especially, you know, like we're going back oh we were saying a while ago, like the Ed Harris lines are all really cool and really, you know, uplifting and optimistic. Oh, yeah. Such a tight script, I guess, and that has to do with it. And, like, also maybe going back to, like, the original transcripts helped make some of the dialogue feel more realistic in those moments or, like, right or, like, called for. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. they just, that's the thing is, like, they don't feel shoehorned in or any of that kind of thing. It's just like, oh, yeah, that, that. feels like what would come out of that person's mouth during that moment like there's such like a naturalism to it while also being like a heavy one-liner which is kind of confounding in a way it's like how did they pull that off i don't know but they did it I think you pull it off by casting, by hiring, like, the greatest actors. Al- you know what I mean? Just like, oh, yeah, like, these are just, you know, oh, Ed Harris, yeah, he can deliver a line. Oh, Tom Hanks, he can deliver a line. Yeah. Gary Sinise is no slouch, yeah. Yeah. I like that, you know, they hire Kevin Bacon, and he's, you know, he's Kevin Bacon, and he looks like Kevin Bacon, and he's still, like, he's still using space metaphors to, like, get laid. It's just like, like, he doesn't need help. Like, he's an astronaut. Like, come on. Like, it just feels... <laughs> unfair that he's got all these advantages or whatever. Like, I like his, you know, showing the woman at the party, like, how to dock, and it's, like, very, very clearly overtly sexual, and it's just, like, almost the first thing you see in the movie. I'm like, okay, so we know who Kevin Bacon is, and, like, there's a whole joke later that they think that he gives people, like, that he passed around an STD in space. Turns out, in real life, it was a urinary tract infection. It was not actually the clap, but it's just, I think it's funny that you have Kevin Bacon sort of as, like, sort of a punchline, but also wildly confident or wildly qualified and competent and confident, and just, man, it's it's just a great cast yeah it's such a great marriage of material and and performance to my mind this is ron howard's best movie i think you could make an argument for cocoon or splash or something or and i have real affection for things like backdraft and uh, the paper as movie i actually really like but this is this just is everything this is everything i want from this kind of movie and as you're saying it's just every scene has a line has an exchange has a look between 
you know, they, they actually hooked up the comm links in the room for all the mission control people. So they were actually calling back and forth to one another. And you know, they, they wanted that all to be, to, and, and so you end up, these lines that are great lines are also sort of imbued with all, all the sense of like, we're actually going through this. And I think that that helped these performances, you know, because everybody kind of disappears into, the, you know, they're playing, they're clearly playing characters, even though so many of them are, are so well known to us. And then as well as now. I do want to point out another scene that I really, really liked is the scene where they do the the free burn to, as they sort of burn off some fuel to get back into the atmosphere like they're like it feels like they're kind of like on a, a they're literally on a rocket ship like they're just like blasting off through space and like there's an excitement and exhilaration to that that I feel and I, I think it's effective because it hasn't been in the rest of the movie but that we've been kept from for the rest of the movie right like so mm. much of it is just like internal like it's mental stuff it's math mm-hmm. it's calculations it's coordination and then you sort of like let it loose and it's like oh yeah and I feel like it works because there's not more of that but I also kind kind of wish there was more of that because that one scene, that one moment is just so good. Yeah, it's true. It's it, it, You really need it at that point in the movie, yeah. Mike, is this the first movie where we've seen Tom Hanks pee? No. Wait, no, no. There's a famous, famous peeing before this movie. League of Their Own. Oh, yeah, the lengthy, lengthy pee. Absolutely. Yes, yes. It felt like it wasn't the first time, but I couldn't think. I was like, did Bachelor <laughs> Party, did he pee? Like, there's a, there's been a lot of opportunities where he's played, <laughs> you know, a drunken mess kind of to pee. It feels like we should have been keeping track of this, Joey, because, like, in Forrest Gump, even, like, LBJ's, like, I think he said he has to pee. And, like, the next shot of him is flushing a toilet. And, like, I wonder if that's a Hank's joke. Like, he goes to the bathroom the way Cage <laughs> shaves so much in movies. We'll have to keep, it, keep an eye on it from here on out because, like, I couldn't place when I should have placed the a league of their own but i feel like because it just there's a close-up because they asked the joke like the, the woman the you know the reporter asked like how do you pee and he like he turns into a joke he's just like you know we uh we roll down the window and look for a gas station and then yeah. he, you know hands them off but then they show him peeing and then they expel it into space and i guess that's kind of like a visual like uh oh there's gonna be oxygen leaving later or whatever but i just i was like yeah this feels like very kind of funny and gross and weird and cool and i like it what i did not like though is the vomit like the vomit oh boy gross oh. God, so disgusting. Gross. Zero G vomit. No, thank you. Well, apparently they did. There, there was a lot of sickness, especially as they were first starting there. Because of course the whole crew's up there too in in zero G, like bumping around and stuff. Like you know, it's not just the actors who were floating. And like there was apparently quite a bit of intestinal distress given in the making of this movie. Yeah, what I had read was that a bunch of the actors and the crew and everything went on the vomit comet to sort of feel what it was like to do, you know, to go up into space. And apparently the actors, according to IMDb trivia, they did not vomit, but like almost everybody on the crew could not handle it. But like Kevin Bacon and Tom Hanks and Gary Sinise were able to like, you know, get through it. But the crew was not so lucky, according to the IMDb trivia. (laughs) This film won two Academy Awards, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, nominated for Best Picture. Ed Harris and Kathleen Quinlan were nominated for Best Supporting Actor and Actress, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Set Direction, Best Visual Effects, and Best Dramatic Score. And then it was nominated for four Golden Globes, Best Picture, Best Director, and then Kathleen Quinlan and Ed Harris again. Weirdly enough, and I, you know, we've talked about Ad Astra a lot just because multiple reasons, but Brad Pitt was offered a role in this movie. He turned it down and did seven instead. Not that that's a bad choice, but, you know, he almost did a space movie and then almost 25 years later, he finally got a space movie. I think that worked out in both, both cases there. Absolutely. You know, what's in the space? Uh, Val Kilmer. Houston, what's in the box? (laughs) Val Kilmer turned down the role of Jack Swigert. That's the Kevin Bacon role, I think, right? To film The Ghost and the Darkness, which I do not know that movie. Oh, I have seen that movie. That's so have with, I. Um, Hunting the Lions in Africa, uh, the lions that are currently in the National History Museum at, in Chicago. Man-eating yeah. lions, yeah. Uh, John Cusack and Charlie Sheen were offered the role of Fred Hayes, played by Bill Paxton, but turned it down. And Michael Keaton was considered, but I guess not 
offered the role. But Cusack, Charlie Sheen, and Michael Keaton in the Bill Paxton role, who he kind of goes away to. I mean, he gets sick, but like he's yeah. so he's such a presence early on that just kind of drifts away in the movie and just you know it's kind of disappointing because he's you know so charismatic and so good. Marilyn Lovell, who is the wife, the real life wife of the of Jim Lovell, who. Tom Hanks plays, said that he portrayed his mannerisms and movement perfectly, uh, which is, mm. I think, a pretty big compliment. And when Hanks joined the cast, Jim Lovell sent him a telegram saying, welcome aboard Apollo 13. Uh, wait, sent him a telegram? Yeah, that's what it said. <laughs> that's amazing. Welcome aboard. Stop. Apollo 13. Yeah, ex- Stop. Exactly. Jim Lovell thought uh, Kevin Costner looked like him, but he was not cast, obviously. But then when they brought Ron Howard on board, they knew that Tom Hanks was a big Apollo slash space buff, and so they brought him in. They offered him the script. He came in for a meeting and was just like, yep, I'll do it. Hanks such a space buff went on to do that great series on HBO from the Earth to the Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. I saw that in college. I really like that one. I think my favorite trivia, though, is that the line that Bill Paxton says, I could eat the ass out of a dead rhinoceros. Do either of you know another movie in which that's said? Doesn't he say that in Twister? <laughs> No, it's a movie <laughs> earlier before this that it's a different actor who is in this movie very, 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 very briefly uh, says in a movie that's very near and dear to our hearts, Mike. You know who's in this movie extremely briefly is, uh, once again, is uh, Roger Corman is in oh, here. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. And he gave Ron Howard his first movie, and also he did a movie where Bill Paxton was uh, working behind the scenes. But in this movie, I think, just in a car, he's like, hey, you're that guy. Gary Busey apparently said that line in point... Gary Busey's in this movie, right? Or did I make that up? Is he? I don't know. But he, what did he, he says that in Point Break, though? So, okay. So, hold on. I might be crazy, but early in the movie, they're at, they're in a car at a stoplight, and a car pulls up next to them. They're like, hey, you're that guy. I think it's Gary Busey driving the car. Oh, that, I don't know. I didn't catch that. But, but that's the line that he says in Point Break when, when, when uh, Keanu hands him his meatball subs. I don't know. Utah, get me too. I don't know where he says it. I'm so hungry, I could eat an ass end out of a rhino. And so he said that line on set, and they're like, oh, we, you know, Tobin made a point that there was a lot of the lines that were actually, you know, in the transcripts and everything. That line, not in the transcripts, <laughs> but they improvised it because they, they thought it'd be like a kind of a funny country boy sort of thing. Gary Busey was hanging on set. I'm pretty sure, I gotta look it up now. I'm pretty sure Gary Busey is in the car for like two seconds. He must not be credited if he if it is him. It's not in uh, IMDb. It's hard to confuse Gary Busey with anybody. So, like, if I'm wrong, I don't know what I'm thinking about. Gary Busey's immortal contribution. Yeah, no, maybe it wasn't him. He was definitely on set. It's not on his IMDb page. I don't know. The role that, again, this is the second time in a row, Mike. Uh, Forrest Gump and then this movie. John Travolta offered the Tom Hanks role, turns it down. What? Tom Hanks says, yes, please, I will take that movie. Thank that you very is much. crazy. Huh. I can't believe... What did he make instead? Does it say... Was he in pre-production on Face Whatever 95 was. So oh, this is man. after... Pulp Fiction. After, after Pulp Fiction, yeah. Andrew, he's back. Oh, so he's doing like Michael or something like that right now. <laughs> right, right. Or the one where he has like... He becomes psychic, but it turns out he has like an aneurysm. So in 95, he did White Man's Burden and Get Shorty. Oh, well, Get Shorty is great, yeah. And then he did Broken Arrow, and then Phenomenon, and then Michael, and then She's So Lovely, and then Face Off. So it's a real yeah. kind of, it's a roller coaster there. <laughs> it's up the and 90s, down, it's up and down, yeah. Two other final quick notes. Tracy Reiner, who plays Mary Hayes, who plays Bill Paxson's wife, is in five Tom Hanks movies. Nothing in Common, Big, A League of Their Own, This One, and That Thing You Do. So she's in the Five Timers Club. Is that Rob Reiner's daughter by any chance? I mean, let's see here. Tracy Reiner, parents, Penny Marshall, Rob Reiner, Michael wow. Henry. Yeah, oh, there you go. There you are. So that explains a lot of that. And uh, the other thing I want to say, and this is uh, 
especially for you, Mr. Mike Mansey, because the episode of High School Summer Party that just so recently came out. Kathleen Quinlan, who gets the Academy Award nomination, plays Tom Hanks' wife. Her first screen appearance, do you know? American Graffiti, where she plays wow. uh, someone in a bathroom talking to a friend. And I can't, the the wording on the trivia is ambiguous, but they're talking about dumping a boyfriend, yeah. or breaking up or leaving a boyfriend, mm-hmm. who's Ron Howard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. She's talking to Ron Howard's girlfriend in the bathroom mirror. Yeah, so that's there hilarious. you go. So Kathleen <sighs> Quinlan, Ron Howard connection right there. And also a high school summer party connection. Bridays are for fun. Um, I think that's all, all I have to say about Apollo 13. Almost got it wrong. Uh, Tobin, any other thoughts about Apollo 13 before we play a couple games and nominate this for some awards? Nope, it's great. Cool. And Mike, what about you? I just want to say these effects hold up like insane. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. I think maybe mostly because like they're in the vomit rocket or whatever filming in zero G. Like that helps. Also, feels like these are like actual models, you know, and like the lighting references are probably really great. And I don't know, just the compositing is on point. And because you know, like it's just it can be tough in space movies. You see like sort of like a bright outline against the black. Even in the old Star Wars movies, they're still in there, some of them and stuff. And mm-hmm. it's charming, but it's nice when <laughs> there's something you could go back and see and it's like, wow, this thing was super clean from the start. Like the effects in this, you can't even tell their effects. And I just I just have to mention that. They're great. Yeah. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Do we think Tom Cruise could play this role? I mean, yeah, right? Like, <laughs> yes. I think so, totally. Like, I think it would be really cool, too. And I don't think it would be that different um i mean you probably cast him in the kevin bacon role right well i mean if he was jim like and you know the houston we have a problem be like houston we have a problem but the next line would be like but don't worry i'm here like i got this i got it it's all good to get home (laughs) i think it'd be a little more blockbustery a little less serious but like i think it'd be pretty close to the same movie yeah tell me what do you think do you think that he could play the tom hanks role no (laughs) <laughs> I love it. I think there's too much too much madness in him, and I think that you need the sort of goofy charm, wholesomeness, and steadfastness that Hank Springs and the, the unpredictability, as you say, would be, would be better suited to another character, which, of course, you wouldn't put him in another character. But I want to see Tom Cruise in the movie where he gets out into space and, like, you know, muscles it. Like, that's, if that's the movie, then sure, but not this movie. This movie that's trying to be... I mean, that's probably Mission Impossible 7 or 8, right? Like, we're getting there, just... Well, exactly, exactly. Like, what's going to get to space first, Mission Impossible or Fast and Furious? Like, one of them's getting to space. I don't know which one it's going to be, but one of my two favorite franchises is getting to space soon. Imagine the crossover. Tobin, you mentioned a word I don't think we used to describe Cruz uh, ever before, and there's there's a madness. Um, There's (laughs) definitely, and we've seen it from time to time, like, he just rips it off and goes nuts. Like, yeah, Yeah, yeah. there's there's a chance, like, he may have wanted to, like, work that more into this word, like, and they're just like, well, you can't be in space and, like, smashing (laughs) things, you know? Like, you really got to keep your cool in this movie kind of thing. So I think you're right, Hanks will edge him out and, uh, kind of like maintaining his composure <laughs> would he work in another role Tobin like do you think he could play the Kevin Bacon role or is there another place that he would fit in this movie or you don't think he fits anywhere in this movie when he was when he was younger yeah I, I think so I mean yeah sure I think I think that would probably be the other role he would take I wouldn't put him in the Gary Sinise role I wouldn't put him in, in the Ed Harris role and yeah so if anything it would be, it would be that role yeah okay Fair enough. Now, does Tom Hanks in this movie do anything that sets him on the road to becoming America's dad? I feel like, Mike, we are kind of past the threshold, sort of maybe, where he's kind of becoming dad already. Like, he's not really on the road as much as, like, he's at the door, right? Like, he's about to, I don't know what that role is going to be. Maybe it's going to be Toy Story where, like, he just is, you know, he's every 
kid's favorite toy. Like, I, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know what puts him over that edge. But does he do anything in this movie that puts him, that continues him down the path to becoming America's dad? I think this is one of, like you're saying, one of the big roles that uh, is sort of like, solidifying him in that regard because look at the size of his family in this movie right like he is such a family man and he's like someone to be admired as well you know he's a fucking astronaut you know they were like bigger than olympic athletes in the 60s especially during the space race right so it's like his dad like dad's a celebrity but like he's also like can back it up and he's going to space and so like i think just by virtue of who Jim Lovell was, like, as a guy, like, embodying that in this character, Hanks is definitely uh, showing that, for sure. Yeah, he's ringing the doorbell here, and we open the door in, in Toy Story and Saving Private Ryan and Castaway, and by the Castaway, it's like, yeah, he's he's cooking breakfast, he's cooking pancakes for breakfast and, like, hosting sleepovers and stuff, like, but this is when he shows up at our door as dad. I mean, I'm just looking ahead to what we got next. We got Toy Story, and then we got th- That Thing You Do, which is maybe not exactly dad role, but I mean, America's director, I guess. But then we got Saving right. Private Ryan. Like, we've got some dad, we got some, you know, fatherly, paternal, we got some real heavy dad stuff coming up, I think. So. Saving Private Ryan soon. I don't think I've seen that since theaters. Jeez. Yeah, I haven't since theaters. Wow. So. Man, oh man. And then You've Got Mail. We go, <laughs> you don't, don't, try not to get too much whiplash when we go from Saving Private Ryan to You've Got Mail. That's the same year, yeah. And then to Toy Story 2 and then The Green Mile. Like, I know that these are, like, crazy good movies, but it's also, like, how, like, what, what, what? Like, it's the genres that I don't think we've seen, really, maybe since Nicolas Cage. I was just thinking the same thing when he, like, flip-flopped between, like, cartoon and, like, Port of Call New Orleans. Oh, yeah, it was, like, I don't remember, it was, like, Astro Boy, Port of Call, The Ant Bully. It's like, it's like, wait, what, what? No, what? <laughs> Well, you're getting into this this so with with the last three move with the last two movies in this movie, his two Oscar wins and then Apollo thirteen. You have which is probably why he wasn't nominated that he just won twice. Um, but you have the, the he's he's proven himself an Oscar winner. He he makes a huge box office success with this and Toy Story, and then he gets to start to do whatever he wants, which is why I think he directs and why he ends up in these. It, people know he can he can carry a movie that will either be Oscar-y or make a bunch of money, and so you you know. He, even more than than movies that he had carried before that were maybe more genre specific like Sleepless in Seattle. So then you get to start getting these movies where he gets to play in a variety of genres, you know, make four different genres and six different movies and because he's he's on top in a way that sort of box office and awardsy like get given this run of these these three or four movies if you count Toy Story. Yeah. Absolutely, for sure. We are like we are firmly like that's it's it's all that re- like we are firmly in the golden mile, the green mile, whatever we're calling it here for, for Tom Hanks. Like this is this is kind of why we did it, right? Like we weathered the early early storms. We're gonna weather the later storms. Uh, there's oh man, there are so many there are so many things that are based on books that I am not looking forward to. There's a there's a big damn brown front coming in pretty soon <laughs> worse the than south. that <laughs> the circle oh boy we're gonna have montez on that one because montez and i bonded even further over how much we hated the book and the movie boy oh boy there is some there's some clunkers coming up but right now we gotta save for every moment we can mike because we are in the heart of the good stuff yes with with trash in the rear view trash in the in the forefront even though <laughs> there's good trash too like forky's good trash but like there's actual trash but Boy, oh boy, there's some bad stuff coming up, but we will get to it when we get to it. Before we get there, though, we need to nominate us for some Woody's, some Tom Hanks Awards. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you to, because I know you're going to say yes. Best film, yeah, Apollo 13. Obviously. Best role, though? I don't know that this no. necessarily qualifies. I think Ed Harris overshines him, outshines him. But what do you two think? Best role? Or no? He has. There are too many great roles he has for this to be in your nominations, I think. Because we've already got... 
eight things nominated, and yeah, I don't no, feel no. like this is better than you, you've got eight more coming. So <laughs> yeah, we so we know that we're going to nominate eventually when we get down to the bottom of the, the sheet. Ed Harris, do we want to nominate this though for best ensemble? Does this count as one of the best ensemble casts in a Tom Hanks movie? Ooh, that's interesting because the the smaller parts, there's so many and they're so good. I'm thinking particularly about Mission Control, but you could go to the families as well. I mean, they're mm-hmm. pitch perfect, these small the, – and so many of them have their own moments. And and the, the name cast is big too and and so good. I mean, I think it would be I, – I think that would be a good contender for that. You know who I really like that we've not mentioned yet? And I don't know who his name – I don't know what his name is because I looked at the actors and basically after you get past like six or seven people, like I just don't know them. They're all like – they're all essentially like that guy, right? Like it's just yeah, like I've seen that guy and things. Yeah. I don't know who he is, but it's that guy. But I don't even know if I know this guy, but the guy who plays like the power expert, who's like talking yeah. about how to like, they got to run it, ramp it down to 12 megawatts or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Electricity. He's like, we got to get it down to 12. That guy's on screen for maybe five minutes, but like he is so goddamn good for five minutes. And then he's just not in the rest of the movie because they're like, he saw this part. Like he knows what he did. He's gone. Yeah. But, like he's on great. screen, like he was just like, I was, yeah, that guy. Uh, best fight. There's not really a fight in this movie. Dance scene? No. Party scene? No. Wardrobe? <laughs> outfit? Wardrobe? Spacesuit? Yeah, his astronaut suit. Is there room on the list for that? I mean, it's... Well, we've cool. only got four other things so far. we got all commercial costumes in Bosom Buddies Season 2. Undercover in the beginning of Dragnet, which I don't even remember that. What is? What was he undercover as? Oh, as like a hippie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's, he looks he looks like his high school self from Bosom Buddies. <laughs> yes. He just dressed as Kip from high school. We've got his baseball uniform in a league of their own, and we've got the tuxedo at the party and all of their clothes in big. Oh, in big. So. I mean, I like this more than his baseball uniform, but not more than his white tuxedo, so... Yeah, I don't so know. It's, it's, I mean, it's out there, though. We'll, we'll put it in yeah. there. Okay, what <laughs> else? He's got to have, like, yeah. a loincloth... <laughs> like in Castaway, is that like outrageous wardrobe? We're gonna, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna get there. I just you know I keep thinking about not not this category necessarily, but I think I'm going to vote for like when we get to Cloud Atlas. Like Cloud Atlas is like my white whale. Like that's kind of you know not why we're doing this podcast, but like Cloud Atlas is one of my all time favorite movies. And like it's gonna be it's my favorite Tom Hanks movie. And not not necessarily it's not necessarily a Tom Hanks movie, but it's kind of a Tom Hanks movie. But there's just you know I I can't wait to nominate that for awards. I just keep thinking of that. Best death, he does not die, obviously. Best line, we have to say, Houston, we have a problem. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Best freak out? Yes or no? Does he freak out or well, is he, he doesn't pretty calm. really freak out? Yeah. I do, not to bring up Ad Astra again. But, oh, I was going to so go right ahead because I was just about to. <laughs> but like in that movie, they make such a big deal about Brad Pitt's, you know, he's like, my heart rate hasn't gone above 70 in like a decade or whatever. And in this movie, like there's, I understand, like I'm again, not making fun of the real astronauts, but like one thing happens, like <laughs> yeah, their heart rates yeah. are spiking. I was like, you put Brad Pitt there, everything's fine. He's just calm, as cool as a cucumber. Best soundtrack theme score, I know it was nominated for an award, for an Academy Award, I believe, or a Golden Globe, whichever one it was. But I think we're all in agreement that not necessarily the best, kind of a little, a little much. Best or worst love story, I think there is a real bond there, but this is not a movie in which, like, it's, their relationship matters because you care about her on the ground, but it's not, like, their love story is not the crux of this movie. Uh, most badass role, we have none. I'm going to get rid of that because I don't know that he's going, well, Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, this would be because astronauts are, you know, super badass and everything, but, like, you're right. Like, what, what? Like, if we haven't nominated, we have nothing at this point we have zero zero nominations we might have to just axe it at this point and just declare it this you know this is it this is his most badass role <laughs> and then best non-hanks actor male or female gotta say ed harris is there anybody else in this that we want to nominate uh, yeah. i mean ed harris just you know takes the cake in this one yeah i mean everyone's really great you know and like i was saying it's good to see gary sinise back so soon and everything uh but yeah 
Ed Harris. Ed Harris really shines, though. Yeah, and we have the rest of the cast. They all, they're all, they might, they might get a Woody when we uh, nominate the best ensemble when we vote the best ensemble. But for now, we have six nominations: best film, best ensemble, best outfit wardrobe, best line, and best non. Oh, oh, we got two in the best non-Hanks actor role, male. Ed Harrison. I forgot that we nominated Gary Sinise for Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, and The Green Mile. So. Trifecta. Trifecta, yep. I also do like at the end of the movie how they weave him back into the story, that like he's just asleep, he doesn't want to hear about it, he doesn't want to see it, he's just in a pouty mood, rightfully so. And they like, they just knock on his door, they go into his room, they go, like he's asleep in his bed and they just like open the door like, hey, nope, we need you, like you're coming with us. It's like, they, they have keys to his, yeah. And the, the, such a great thing when he's watching the news, right before the news comes on to tell about what's going on, he sh- turns off the TV as the broadcast starts. And it's like, it's so good. It's so, so well done. Oh yes, that's such. That's another horror movie trope right there that I love so much. Like they turn it off right, and then the zombie invasion broadcast starts. Like national broadcast disaster. <laughs> yeah. So pretty good showing, nonetheless. Here for Apollo thirteen. So Toby, you will be on our other feed next. The very next yeah. episode that we're doing over on Cruise Club, we are doing Collateral. Wildly different movie than this, but another very good movie. So I'm very excited to talk about that. And then in two weeks, like I said, we're we'll back here to talk about Toy Story, which I mean, we are you know once every six movies or so we're on Cruise Club. We got a Mission Impossible. Now probably once every five or six movies we're gonna get a Toy Story. So you know we are into that era of Hanks right now. So who oh boy, we are we're almost there. Awesome, and we will get to chart the progress of digital animation through Pixar movies along the way, through the four main contenders that they, you know, use to basically test all their great new software with. Well, speaking of contenders, Tobin, why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast? Yes, I have a podcast called The Contenders with my sister, Aislinn. We uh, discuss movies made by and and or starring uh, fearless women. So we have, uh, we have a lot. We're going to talk about Frozen 2 at the end of December and uh, maybe we'll have we'll have uh, I'm, I'm re- what I really want to talk about is Little Women which I can't wait to see the Greta Gerwig's movie we, we did uh, we covered Lady Bird back when it came out and love that movie so I'm very excited to see what she does next but yeah come out, check us out on The Contender you know I'm excited for you guys to do Frozen 2 because I saw that movie in theaters and I gave Mike a uh, kind of a Wikipedia plot dump while I was driving to a wedding with him and I was just like yeah. so here's what happens in Frozen 2 and we talked about that so I like that I don't have to do homework to listen to and enjoy your podcast although I do wish that you continued your tradition of making Island watch a horror movie at Christmas because it was so wonderful to watch the Babadook or to hear her watch the Babadook. Maybe maybe next Christmas maybe we can spring another one on Island because Island and horror movies do not necessarily get along <laughs> but uh, it was a, it was a pleasure and a joy to hear her talk about the Babadook. There's lots of seasonal horror movies too for Christmas as well so you know Silent Night Deadly Night there's about six of those I mean just close your eyes and pick one. <laughs> And you did the holiday, you did the Christmas movie around Halloween, right? I think with Joe Bolenbaugh. Yeah. You guys are all topsy-turvy over there, but it works out beautifully. The last Tuesday of every month, The Contenders, new episode over there. There's like 40, 41 episodes over there. So go check those out. Go check out all the episodes of Tobin. He's going to, are you going to be back on a Hanks? Do we know? Hold on. You got, uh, you, oh yeah, you have Charlie Wilson's War and Captain Phillips and Bridge of Spies and The Post. You got plenty more, just a ways down the road. So very, very exciting. But for all things, Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club and all 26 shows, including the newest show, which new in theory, knock on wood, new episode out now of Viva Pod Vegas, the Elvis Presley podcast. You go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Come back next week over on our Cruise Club feed for Collateral and come back here in two weeks for Toy Story. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. 
and that was Tobin Addington of the Contenders Podcast. We'll see you right here next time on Hanks for the Memories. Houston, we have a problem.